welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 107. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I hope that you guys are having a great week. Thank you for coming back for another episode, and if it's your first one, welcome. Uh, I think that you're going to enjoy today's guest. I'll get into that in a second. I've, I've had a lot of temptation recently to go out and buy something that I probably shouldn't have sold in the first place. Last year, I was at an indoor bow league, and at the end of it, they had a banquet where you could win a door prize, and I ended up winning a recurve bow. And I had a great time in the spring uh, shooting that thing, practicing. I thought I was good enough to go out and chase turkeys with it. And it wasn't a matter of aiming. It was a matter of just how hard it is to move uh, if you're not hunting in a blind. And so I, I had some blown opportunities on some birds last year and ended up hanging up the recurve. And then I ended up selling that recurve because I just didn't want the temptation of going after deer with it. Um, I wanted to make sure that I, I was reducing my hunts and that I wasn't going crazy deer hunting. And if you guys have listened to the last few episodes, you know that even with a compound, I wasn't able to do that. I went crazy. I hunted a lot, more than what I ever had before. So it's definitely not the bow's fault. It is a user error on that part. <laughs> and I've thought about it. I thought, man, maybe I shouldn't have sold that. I really enjoyed shooting the recurve. It was a lot of fun. And having a guest on that is a trad hunter, um, I tell you, it, it makes me think about it. So I'll just put it that way. I'm not committing to anything. I'm thinking about it. But today's guest will make you think about it if you're not already into traditional archery. His name is Ronald Crouch. He is a great guy. I really enjoyed this interview. Uh, Ron's been around for a while. He knows a lot of uh, guys that maybe you've heard of, like Larry D. Jones or Rodney York, is a part of his group called Bent Bow Productions. And he's going to unpack what that is. He's going to tell some great, amazing stories. Usually on this podcast, because I'm a whitetail hunter, we have a lot of whitetail stories. You guys know that. But today, what I love about Ron is we get a variety of animals, a plethora of animals that he has been able to take with traditional gear using a longbow. And I just think that that's really cool, including an incredible, absolutely amazing mountain goat hunt in British Columbia. He talks about that. We hear bear hunting stories. We hear uh, kind of some funny stories with bear spray. I'll just leave it at that. And Ron does a great job. Um, guys, I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. And once again, if you want to share it, if you want to leave a review, any of those things are appreciated. Also, be sure to be checking out our YouTube channel, Shedding Light Outdoors, Facebook, Instagram. There's the end of the plug. Guys, we're going to dive in. Here is Ron Crouch. Well, guys, it is my uh, great pleasure to have Ron Crouch on today from Spring Branch, Texas. Ron, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, Travis. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. What you into today? Anything exciting? Uh, no, just watching it rain out the window a little bit. Uh, kind of a little bit of a soggy morning, but that's okay. We need to rain down here. Absolutely. It's always a blessing to get that rain. And uh, now You're down in Texas. So which part of Texas? I'm not familiar with Spring Branch. Uh, Spring Branch is a uh, small uh, hill country uh, community located uh, between Austin and San Antonio, kind of almost in the middle, maybe a okay. little closer to San Antonio. Gotcha. So a small town. And, and what do you do there, Ron? Tell us a little bit about yourself for anybody that doesn't know you. Wow. Uh, a little bit about myself. I don't know where, where I could start. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, right now I'm, uh, I'm retired. Uh, I'm actually uh, retired from the uh, sheriff office. I was in law enforcement for almost 20 years. Oh, great. And that was out in uh, California where I, uh, where I served that term. And uh, we moved to uh, Spring Branch, Texas, uh, kind of uh, partly on the urging of my uh, oldest daughter who lives here. I uh, wanted to get closer to the grandkids <laughs> and uh, yeah, just kind of get out of the California element, get more into that uh, down home environment that uh, the uh, the South and especially uh, Texas seems to offer. Yeah, a little bit different feel than California, I think. <laughs> it, it is a lot different feel, yes. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I believe our paths cross uh, through uh, Bent Bow Outdoors, and we'll talk a little bit more, but just kind of give us a little overview of Bent Bow, and we'll kind of come back to that at the end. Okay. Uh, uh, Bent Bow Outdoor Productions uh, is a nonprofit organization that myself and Rodney York from California started uh, a few years ago. It has absolutely just gone off the chart with popularity. We've just both been so impressed and so blessed 
with the, the doors that it's opened and the people that we've got to meet some great, great uh, uh, bow hunters and, 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 and people in general have opened us with, have uh, welcomed us with open arms and, and, and we just love it. It's, it's basically a, a ministry for Christ that uh, uh, uses uh, bow hunting videos as, as an attractant. Yeah. Uh, we promote uh, uh, mostly traditional bow hunting. My partner and I both hunt with uh, traditional equipment, uh, recurves and longbows. Uh, so we, I think probably maybe appeal more to that crowd than others, but uh, certainly uh, it's not exceptional. We get uh, calls from uh, all over the world with, with uh, from folks that are use all kinds of archery equipment. And uh, you know, the a hunt's a hunt, you know, with a bow mm-hmm. in your hand. So <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of irrelevant. But we we just kind of like the traditional element of it. We've been long, long, lifelong uh, traditional bow hunters and archers, and uh, we just kind of prefer to use that method. But we use we use bent bow uh, as a tool uh, to uh, uh, to attract uh, people to our site, where we can just uh, pretty much uh, plant the seeds of Christ. And let uh, and let God do the rest. Yeah, that's great. I, I happen to get on your website, which if people want to check that out, go to bentbowproductions.org. Um, and right there on your website, it's you and I believe Rodney. And uh, if there's any elk hunters listening to this, you might recognize another face on there. It looks like Larry D. Jones. <laughs> yes, good old good old Larry. He's uh, he's been a long time uh, uh, friend of mine. We've been on uh, many hunts together. Uh, he is a, he's a great guy uh, as well as a, as a, uh, as a, he's a great Christian man. Anybody mm-hmm. that's watched his early videos uh, uh, will remember that uh, uh, Larry didn't miss a chance to uh, thank the Lord for whatever he took uh, yeah. in the field and uh, uh, didn't bother him a bit to have that on video. So uh, <laughs> yeah, Larry, Larry is a big supporter of uh, Bent Bow Outdoor Productions and has helped us immensely yeah. Uh, in many ways, uh, especially with the videography end of it, he, they, they don't come any better with uh, with a camera in their hand than Larry D. Jones. Uh, I know he's known for, to most people with the with that with that bow in his hand, and he's good with that too. And he's good <laughs> with an elk call in his hand. He's good with that too. But uh, uh, Larry uh, also is uh, an extremely knowledgeable videographer, and he's been such a great help to us, kind of helping us learn. He's taken us under his wing and really helped us in that department. Yeah. Very good storyteller. I, I remember watching Elk Fever and seeing just kind of how the story played out and just uh, a lot of creativity there. So that's... Oh my gosh, yeah. You know. yeah. Well, Ron, I want to get into your background a little bit and kind of um, go back to the beginning a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, kind of tell us how you, how did you get started into hunting? How did you end up with a stick bow in your hand? How did all that play out? Oh, wow. You're making me dig way back in the archives now. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> probably would have started in the 50s. I'm almost 70 now. I'm mm. going to be uh, 70 uh, in July of this year. And that'll be a big milestone for me, I guess. But Absolutely. Only a number. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I can't remember a time I didn't have a bow and arrow in my hand, to be honest with you. Even as a kid, uh, I always enjoyed uh, the outdoors. I always enjoyed being in the woods and the mountains. I, I grew up in a rural community in uh, uh, west, actually it's northwest uh, Tennessee, a community called Dyersburg. Most, most of your listeners probably don't even know where that's at, but it's a small little town uh, in uh, uh, northwest uh, Tennessee, uh, real close to the Missouri River. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a poor kid. We were a poor family, didn't have a whole lot. My mom raising three kids on her own. And uh, I think I just, I think I looked to the woods as an escape. And uh, uh, I think I fell in love first with slingshots. And I used to go frogging even, even at six and seven years old by myself. Uh, you know, it was a different world back then. Didn't have a lot to worry about like you do now. And I'd just take off out the back door and mom would be looking for me and hollering for me the rest of the day, I guess. But <laughs> uh, I was out bullfrogging and uh, uh, shooting at anything that, uh, provided a target and it didn't take me long to kind of just start making my own uh, bows. I just made them very crudely, but I, I can always remember just making my own bows and arrows out of whatever I could find and just, and shooting them and, and just being absolutely uh, uh, enthralled at the sight 
and fl of a flight of an arrow. I just loved watching an arrow fly. I, I, and I still do. Even today, it's, it's not lost its magic uh, to me. Watching an arrow fly to me, it's just, it, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's adventure. It's awe. It's amazing. It's a whole lot of things all wrapped up in one. Um, and uh, I just did that. Every chance I could get to watch an arrow fly, I would, I would, I would fling it. Yeah. And uh, that just kind of stayed with me all, all through my young years. I, uh, as I got into my teenage years, I was able actually to buy a, a you know, a recurve bow. I remember back in the, in the late sixties, uh, getting a, uh, I think the first one I got was a red wing hunter. I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if that yeah available yeah <laughs> I've, I've heard of it so I, i'm yeah. i'm kind of i've i've dabbled a little bit into the trad world uh, this past year and so i was on some forums and i got to see a lot of guys and their bows and their setups so i started to learn a little bit of the vocabulary and um yeah that one rings a bell sure sure but i, I got i got that red wing hunter and oh man i just i was on fire I, that was you, you'd have thought if i was a car lover you you you, you would have thought I, I just bought a brand new mustang or something. <laughs> you know i mean i I had that thing out and about everywhere. It, it just, it went with me and I took every excuse to go and shoot and, uh, and play with it. And so, so for the, the, the beginning, it was mostly, you know, as a kid, I, I did dabble a little bit with the hunting of the of frogs and squirrels and, and, and that sort of thing. But uh, in the teen years, it was mostly just shooting it, just shooting the boat uh, into hay bales, uh, 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 stump shooting, they call it. Uh, yeah. I did a lot of that. And uh, pretty well self-taught. Never really, you know, took any uh, uh, archery lessons. I didn't go to I didn't go to college and, and and learn how to shoot a bow or anything like that. I just picked it up on my own. Probably uh, uh, explains a lot of the bad habits that I still have today. <laughs> <laughs> but I was self self-taught. But I loved it. I just loved the flight of the arrow and and, and shooting it. I I shot a I shot a recurve and started and started hunting actually with it uh fairly early i think the first hunts that i started really going on was back in the uh in the late 60s and early 70s um living in california we had the privilege of uh being able to hunt the channel islands mm. uh santa cruz and catalina island uh, were just you're just off the coast of california and back in the day a group of guys a group of bow hunters could go over there and, and uh, literally hunt their tails off for two and a half days. You'd go over on a Friday, you'd come back on a late Sunday. And uh, the, you, on, on Catalina, they had the uh, Spanish goats and the uh, and wild pigs. And uh, man, that, it was it was it was fair chase, Bubba. If, if any <laughs> word could spread, could, could could talk about fair chase, they could use Catalina as a poster child. I think it. Uh, rough, rugged country, uh, steep mountains, and uh, the goats and the pigs were smart. <laughs> and but you could have a lot of experience um, in in a very relatively short period of time hunting the Channel Islands because you got so many opportunities. Us 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 guys that used to bow hunt back there in the early years, we used to call it poor man's Africa because <laughs> it was affordable. You could go over for I think originally you could go over for about a hundred bucks. Uh, mm -hmm for three days and uh, uh and just like i said just hunt your tail off lose all your arrows and just have a ball yeah. and you got so much experience uh because there were there was so much game you had one stock after another and one hunting opportunity after another you really got to practice uh and fine tune your hunting ability and i honestly truly believe and there's a lot of guys that believe the same thing that are from that era also and from that part of the world uh, we believe that a lot of the best bow hunters in the world uh, came out of that Southern California element because of the experiences that they were able to, to garner mm. in a short period of time hunting those Channel Islands. It was fantastic. That that's such a good point. I, I I had a guest on a while back that kind of mentioned that he recommends that kids start off on hunting squirrels, go out there and learn how to just hunt small game or something like that. Because today it seems like the trend is get them in a tree stand or get them out west and have their first experience be a big white tail or a big elk, and that's a lot to kind of chew, you know. But you get get these other experiences like you had there shooting pigs and shooting some smaller game and getting that experience under your belt. That's, that's gotta have, I imagine that that's probably like you said, made some guys into some really good hunters. 
Oh, oh, absolutely. And I, I would uh, concur with exactly what, what you're saying and what you're suggesting there, that uh, when the guys first get started, and especially kids, uh, you, you know, you, if you start them out off too big, I think you open them up to the possibility of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of not only the, the, the failure, but also the dissatisfaction uh, that, that would come from that kind of early. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you start them off small with the rabbits, they have a lot of chances and a lot of opportunities. And uh, they, learn the, they learn the fun part of the chase and the hunt and, mm -hmm. uh, and getting the shot and, and, and they're getting the practice. And, uh, and they're preparing themselves for that, for that bigger stuff down the road. So I totally agree. Start, start them small and just, just work their way up. Hogs, hogs are a great uh, uh, big game animal to start with. Uh, javelina are yeah. a great, uh, fantastic animal to start people uh, off with that are interested in hunting with a bow and arrow because you're going to get a lot of opportunities generally, yeah. and uh, they're a little easier to get up on. Uh, so the opportunities are going to come a little bit, uh, a little quicker, and I think the success would also come a little quicker because of that. Yeah, I, I have not had the opportunity to hunt hogs yet, but I've heard in Texas they have a couple down there. You guys have just a couple hogs running around here and there. There's just a couple we see every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, like a couple of million we see. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty incredible. Wow. So, Ron, you start off, you go to this island and get this experience, and you kind of grow into hunting a little bit, and you get this experience. You mentioned just loving to shoot the bow, and that's the thing about shooting a recurve, that you know, or longbow, being able to shoot it. It's just, just pleasure and just watching that arrow sail. Now, did you ever dabble or go into, like, the, the compound world or any of the, the modern bows, or did you kind of stick with the, the trad? Oh, no, I, I didn't uh, just uh, stick with trad initially. Uh, like a lot of guys, I, uh, in the, when the 70s uh, came upon us and that, that, that new invention <laughs> came down the pike, uh, uh, you know, a lot of us grabbed up compound bows. I shot compound bows for several years, uh, not only uh, uh, for hunting, but also in the tournament mm. end of it. Uh, I, I, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed shooting that uh, uh, that compound bow uh, immensely. It was a it was a different different type of bow. It, it shot differently. There was a little bit of a learning curve uh, to using the, the a compound properly, and I, I adjusted to that. And actually, I did <laughs> I did quite well uh, without getting into a lot of detail. the The thing that got me back, I didn't stay very long uh, with a compound. I, I I may have shot a compound for eight six eight years uh, almost exclusively. But what I what I honestly miss, Travis, that that drew me back to, to hunting with my trad bow, was just like we talked about earlier. It, it was that love of the flight of an arrow. Mm -hmm. And as the bows got faster, I realized that I, boy, if either I'm getting older and my vision's going bad, or I'm not seeing the arrow flight very much. These bows are so quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't get a chance to see the bow. You see the arrow leave the bow very long before it's to the target. And uh, to be honest, I just, I really miss that flight of the arrow. Uh, I, I miss that romanticism that it, that it brought about in my heart. And uh, I, I picked up my, uh, my trad bow again and I went out in the backyard and I, I, I shot it and watched the arc of that arrow again. And I go, oh my gosh, there it is. And uh, I just grabbed my trad bow and, and uh, I, I, never went, I never went back. I just, <laughs> I just stayed with the trad bow uh, uh, completely. Yeah. I mean, like I, I said, you know, being able to get out, the, I got, I, what my story with the trad bow is I won one actually this past year and went out this spring and I, I enjoyed shooting it almost a lot more actually than shooting my compound bow. With my compound bow, if I missed a little bit, like if I was off just a quarter inch, I'd be frustrated. Okay. If I was within a softball ring with the trad bow, I was pumped. <laughs> I was like, Hey, you know, I don't have sights. It's just a bare bow. And that, you know, it's just a pure satisfaction shooting that. A a absolutely. And I, there's, a, there's an easy love there with trad bows. I, don't, I, I think we touched on it briefly, but, I, but not completely about everything that's involved with a trad bow. But, I, you know, you think about kids. Uh, we were talking about kids earlier, and uh, I get the opportunity a lot of times and have had the opportunity to teach uh, young kids. I mean, uh, uh, and, and to be able to put a bow, especially a trad bow, a little, a little recurve or a little long bow in the hands of a kid 
and show him how to pro him or her how to properly shoot that bow and watch them shoot that first arrow man there's a smile on that kid's face they you can't wipe off yeah, yeah. i mean there's an enjoyment there i've never i've never actually seen a kid uh learn to shoot a bow and then shoot a bow that didn't have that look yeah. uh, they still i can remember it you know kids and bows just go together <laughs> yeah. and uh uh I think a lot of our younger generation is missing out on that, you know, with the, with the iPhones and, and iPads and everything they're kind of busy bodied with anymore. They don't tend to get outside and, and have those opportunities like a lot of us did yeah. uh, with the bow and arrow. And I'm, I'm hoping that can change. I'm hoping maybe we can lend a part to that to, to help that change and get more, inter more people introduced to, uh, to the fun and enjoyment of, uh, of pure archery. Yeah. And whether they shoot a trad bow or a compound, you know, hey, that's that's one or the other. Yeah. Uh, but to just get them out in the field and, and, and enjoying God's creation and just enjoy shooting a bow. And hopefully they'll they'll fall in love with that flight of an arrow like I did. And mm. it'll, it'll be life changing. It'll, they'll never go back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, some fun hunts, I, I want to dive in to uh, some fun hunts or some of your favorite hunting experiences that you have. I know that you've had an opportunity to, to not just chase one type of species. You've had an opportunity to maybe chase a few different things. So, you know, a lifetime of hunts. Ron, what are some of your favorite ones that kind of come to mind? Oh, oh boy, Travis. Again, that's, that's going back in the archives probably. Uh, there are so many. I, I, I can honestly say that, that I've never gone on a hunt that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. Uh, every hunt that I've ever been on has been an, an adventure. Uh, and it's just been an enjoyment, a blessing to be able to just to spend time in God's creation and just enjoy what he's made for us to, uh, to enjoy. And, uh, so I've never had a bad hunt. I want to make that perfect. I've never, I've never had a bad, hunt. Have, I, have there been times that I went on a hunt and didn't get the critter that I was hoping for? Absolutely. But that didn't make it a bad hunt. Yeah. <laughs> that just, yeah. that just made it, uh, well, uh, an easier pack out. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it definitely was not a bad hunt. Uh, but looking back, uh, you know, pr probably my, my favorite all time uh, hunt Travis would have to be uh, for the mountain goat in British Columbia. Uh, Rodney and I, as as early as I can remember, and I've known Rodney ever since I was in my 20s. That'll give you an idea how long ago that was. We, we bow hunted together even in our 20s, early 20s. Um, even back then, we had we had sit down under an oak tree after chasing pigs or goats on Catalina, and we'd talk about our dream hunt. What, what would we really, really like to do? And inadvertently, the hunt that both, both of us had put on that pedestal, that, that, uh, that, that high end, that, that uh, bucket list, that top of the bucket list hunt, the thing that we really wanted to do for the both of us was exactly the same thing. We both have longed our, almost our whole lives to be able to get into that, that mountain goat hunt country and hunt mountain goats with our bows. Uh, the idea of ever hunting them with a firearm never, ever, ever came to mind. It was, it, was, it was matching your skill, your wits, your stamina, uh, and your shooting ability and your hunting ability with an animal that, to me, ranks at the very top. Everything that I ever read about a mountain goat just intrigued me. That, number one, you know, the guys talk about sheep hunting. Sheep hunting is a big thing. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, most sheep hunts are well outside the price range of, of most of us, mm -hmm. <laughs> myself included. And I'll probably never, uh, never live to be able to, to afford a, a sheep hunt uh, based on some of the prices that I'm seeing that they're going for now, unless I get lucky and win one. But, uh, and, I, and I sure wouldn't mind doing that. But a mountain yeah. goat, uh, uh, Travis, everything I read about him, a mountain goat lives its whole life in an area that a mountain sheep would break its neck. Yeah. And I guess the adventure and the challenge of hunting an animal in that category absolutely amazed me. I've always been a little bit of a physical fitness buff. Even in my old age, I still like to run and lift and try to, you know, stay in, in some reasonable hunting shape. Uh, but a mountain goat, he, he lives his whole life 
making his predators quit. If you think about it, he gets up into those, in those rocky crags and stuff and, and a grizzly and a, and a wolf, he, he, they, can't, they can't traverse the terrain. They can't get back in there without falling to their death. And that's exactly what the mountain goat does. He's just, he, he basically just makes the predators quit. He can't, you know, he doesn't, doesn't stand a chance one-on-one -on -one backed into a corner. So his really his only chance is his ability to live and maneuver in that kind of country, in that kind of environment. Many, anybody that's seen a, a big mature billy on the side of a cliff with a, with, that's, that's got his feet stuck on a little ledge about three inches wide, and he's looking down a sheer wall 3,000 feet to the bottom <laughs> and, and hasn't gasped a little bit. Yeah. You know, hasn't, boy, they haven't lived yet, Travis. I'm telling you, <laughs> that, that animal had earned my respect from day one. And I thought, man, just getting into the country that he lives is a challenge, much less being able to get within bow range. Mm. Uh, the, the, uh, the guide and outfitter that, that we hunted with, uh, he told me right off the bat, Travis, that once we got up there, he said, uh, he said, well, he said, uh, you know, how close do you guys think you have to get with your bows to get a shot? You know, it's a business for a guide. He, he, he just basically looking to get put, you know, get, get, get you satisfied, taken care of, mm -hmm. get your check, pack you off the mountain and go to the next one. I mean, that's yep. his job. He got can kind of understand where he's coming from. So he was just basically kind of wanting to, what, what do I got myself in for? You know, so <laughs> he, how close do you guys got to get, man, to, you know, to make your shot? So I looked at him, I said, yeah, about the same time Rodney did. And I think we both almost said in unison, um, uh, Rodney may have mentioned it first, but so, you know, well, we like to get within, uh, you know, 30 yards, 20 yards is even better. And he, and his jaw dropped and he'd been guiding for, I don't know how many years up there. And he'd never been within range like that of a mountain goat. Wow. And it was almost kind of discouraging to hear him say this kind of like, he's looking at us like, Oh, you guys are nuts. Well, we, we can go. I mean, it's your, it's your, you know, it's your hunt, but wow, man, if you guys are expecting to get within that kind of range of a mountain goat, you're, you're in for a big disappointment. That's basically what he was telling us without really just coming right out and saying it. Yeah. And uh, in me, that just made the drive that much greater. And uh, I ended up, I ended up shooting uh, my big Billy. He was a mature Billy, well over ten years old. I I took my Billy at just about twenty yards, as he stood up from his bed that I had uh, 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 spider crawled or crab crawled, we call it, laying the bow on your stomach and just kind of inching down the slope, uh, an inch at a time, uh, for almost a hundred yards. Uh, to get in position to, uh, to to get the to get that shot, but I shot my Billy at uh, uh, less than 20 yards or right at 20 yards. So uh, I kind of blew that theory all to heck that you can't get that close. Uh, I think a lot of it is just that a lot of folks that hunt those things they don't have to get that close. They go up there with a high-powered rifle, right? They don't have to worry about getting within you know 100 yards or 50 yards or 20 yards. They just pretty much get within range. And some of the high-powered rifles they're shooting what? 800 <laughs> yards, yeah. you know, and more. And uh, uh, so they don't really have to. So I think you have to do what you have to do sometimes. And, and that drive and that persistence is just kind of what keep bow hunters going. That challenge is, is a lot to a lot of us, uh, maybe not so much to others. Uh, but that whole aspect of uh, uh, getting close to big game has always intrigued me. That's the reason I liked hunting with a bow and arrow to begin with mm -hmm. was because I enjoyed the challenge of getting extremely close to a big game animal in his territory on his turf. And uh, if I got the shot, I got the shot, but the, 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 the challenge for me was always getting ultra, ultra close. And I was able to do that on a big mountain goat and, uh, uh, Rodney didn't get a goat on that on that trip, uh, but he met the challenge uh, several times yeah. uh, 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 and, and beat my closeness. At one point, Rodney was actually within, I think, less than 12 yards of a Boone and Crockett Billy. Wow. Uh, and that Billy had no idea that he was there. I thought the guide was absolutely going to fall off the mountain when he saw that. Uh, <laughs> 
he was so he was so surprised and it was just one of those things where rodney couldn't get turned and adjusted because when the billy came around the rock he came from one side that or around the hill he came from the side that rodney wasn't expecting him to come from mm. and he, he was kind of pinned down and couldn't move but i mean less than 12 yards to a boone and crockett mountain goat mm. uh so it just showed yeah you can do it <laughs> looking distance and drive you can do it looking at this picture uh i'm looking on bentbowproduction.org and i see a picture of you and this this billy goat and I'm just looking at the terrain behind you. So it sounded like you guys were getting up real high and kind of glassing down over. Was that, how did you even spot this guy? Actually, we, we spotted him from, uh, you, you, you're climbing and glassing all the time with mountain goat. Right. Uh, and I can't express being in good physical shape enough. Uh, that country will absolutely kill you oh, if yeah. you are not in good shape. But uh, you would you would basically climb and glass the uh, the upper rims and those cliffs uh, in areas where you know the big billies like to stay because they like to stay right at the top mm-hmm. for the most part. We for very seldom did we find any exceptions to that. So that the, the billy that I got, we had actually glassed him from below and uh, plotted the route, uh, uh, watched the wind, and uh, just started working our way in that. Uh, in that direction uh, to uh, to come down from the top, you've really got to you, you pretty much impossible to try to to try to just stalk directly up uh, up to a billy from below. He watches his his uh, down below him constantly. That's where he expects danger to come from, and his eyesight is exceptional. His hearing is exceptional. Uh, his nose works well too. Uh, so he, he uses the wind, but for the most part, he'll, he'll use his eyesight and he just, he just watches the area below him for any movement whatsoever. So you've really, uh, just like I did, you have to get around and above him and then come down as stealthily as possible from the top, uh, just to, just to get a shot, just to have a chance, uh, to get a shot, uh, at, at a big billy. I've, I've heard and read that if you, that if you get above them, uh, they're they're pretty easy to stalk from the top. I would have to disagree with that. We had several blown stalks where uh, uh, we were just a little bit careless, and uh, you roll a rock or, or or touch some gravel with your foot at the wrong time, they do look up. <laughs> yeah. And if if they notice anything out of the uh, out of the ordinary, they'll quickly work their way around to the left or around the right, or go down, go down and around. They'll do whatever they have they have to to get a- away from you. So uh, uh, just getting above them isn't the only thing you have to do. That that's just that's just the first thing you have to do, is is get above them and then very very carefully get within a, a good shot position uh, to take that shot. Mm. Well, that sounds like like a bucket list, hunt of a lifetime experience there. I'm glad that you got to, you know, take one, especially with a stick bow. How special is that to be able to get that? I'd, I'd love to see the look on your guide's face. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he was shocked. Uh, well, Ron, I, I know that there's probably thousands of stories, but I'll, I'll ask you for a couple more. Any other stories that just, um, you know, kind of rise the top that you've experienced? Anything else that, that stands out to you? Oh, uh Gosh, uh, probably real quick for just another hunting story. I, it's on it's on Bimbo Outdoor Productions too. It's one of our videos, one of our very first videos, uh, uh, and it's basically a, a, a California bear hunt, uh, uh, spotting and stalking uh, without the use of dogs or bait or uh, or tree stands or anything like that. I've always loved spotting and stalking. That's just my my number one go to. I always <laughs> try to find an animal that I can do that to. Uh, that'll, that'll work with me sometimes. Uh, but I love spotting and stalking. And, and uh, I had learned that about this one particular area from a friend of mine that said, Hey, he said, uh, these, uh, these bears are, are, have moved into this basin. He said, I'm seeing, you know, a, a, a couple of them a day, you know, back in there eating acorns, the acorns are really, uh, really thick right now. They're really falling and they're really thick. And those, those bears back in that, in that country are, are coming into that basin. So I, I kind of got directions and, and hiked in there and uh, I have never seen anything like it. I, I started glassing and I started picking up bears in my doctors right off the bat uh, in singles, you know, one here, one over there. And I'm kind of, wow, this is incredible. And I think I forget now what the number was, but I actually, I wanted a good bear. Um, uh, not that I wouldn't have taken, you know, a lesser bear than what I, 
I really wanted that, you know, I probably would have, but I really wanted a good bear. And, and I could, uh, I, I started just working into these bears with my video camera in, in one hand and my bow in the other. And I started uh, getting within bow range of these bears and then just filming them for a little bit. And then I'd make up my mind, no, I think I can do a little better and I'd move on. <laughs> and uh, I literally, I think I must have probably uh, stalked and got within bow range of, I don't know, it, it was at least, it was at least eight, 10, maybe more. I uh, forget now what the video actually shows, but there's a whole bunch of different bear on that video that I stalk within range of. And then I, then I found this one bruiser with a white blaze on his chest. I could obviously see he was a big boar, had a big head. And I, I uh, uh, made, a, made a good, you know, got the wind right, uh, took off my shoes, uh, took my video camera and, and moved it with me as I, as I made the stalk and uh, actually set the video camera up behind me at the last moment. Uh, while he was just over the side of a hill. In the video, you'll actually see one bear that comes by that I thought was him, but it was a different one. I draw on him and I hold, and then I let him, and then I ease back down and I let him go. And just seconds later, the big guy is, is there uh, in front of me. And I shoot this, this bear uh, probably, I'm going to say 16 to 18 yards. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's I, close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a, a good, well-placed arrow. I shoot, a, I shoot a, you know, moderately heavy bow, but I shoot a heavy arrow, I believe in a lot of uh, FOC and, and a heavyweight arrow. My arrow weight, uh, even at, even at 54 pounds bows, my arrow weight is uh, uh, well over 600 grains total weight. And uh, so there's a lot of momentum there. <laughs> and I uh, usually get pass-throughs on, on a lot of the critters, and that was no exception on the bear. Uh, it, it zipped through him like a knife through butter. And uh, double lung, uh, the bear coughed, ran uh, two steps, coughed again, and then ran about 12 more yards and, that, and piled up. That was it. Man, that is an incredible experience. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any, is there any fear? Like when you draw back on a bear like that, I mean, and you're spotting stock, a lot of guys, I mean, I've seen a lot of videos and it seems like a lot of videos, there's guys hunting over bait from a tree stand or whatever, you know, that you don't have to worry too much about shooting a bear like that. But if you're, you're eye, eyeball to eyeball with a bear like that, is there any fear as you let go of the arrow of, as to what might happen next? Oh, absolutely. Everybody's, everybody's heard that adage that, uh, let's see exactly how that goes. Uh, what, uh, what doesn't, uh, what doesn't, uh, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Then, you got it. Then they say, then they say, except for bears, they will kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I kind of subscribe to that. <laughs> yeah. You absolutely, absolutely have to be careful. If you notice in the film on my belt, there is a canister of bear spray. Mm. Um, I, I, I didn't take a sidearm. A lot of guys ask me, why did you take a sidearm? <laughs> you know, but I, but I didn't. I, I just like me and my bow. Uh, the only time I've ever taken a, a weapon of any kind is in Alaska when I was hunting uh, uh, caribou. And especially on, on, on uh, Kodiak Island, we hunted Sitka blacktail. And uh, I carried a uh, uh, saw, sawed off, well, it was a short barrel shotgun with a pistol grip that had a clip that would go on my backpack so I could get it off really fast. Uh, I, I carried that to go to the bathroom up there. I mean, I just, you know, the, the, the bears up there are big. Uh, grizzly is, is a different kind of a critter. It, it's, a different, it's a different animal than a black bear. And I've got a lot of respect for those kind of things. But, yeah, getting back to the black bear, I, uh, there's a bit of nervousness, but I think that just adds to it, to adds to the adventure. Uh, yeah, I, at, I tell you, at, uh, at less than 18 yards with this guy that was, he was well over 300 pounds, good boar. And, uh, uh, just knowing what that, that guy could do to me, uh, if I didn't, if, if, if he wanted to, uh, if I did something wrong or made a mistake, um, uh, that's a, that's a scary thought. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I, 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 that, 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 that's in the back of your mind. It's in the back of any sane person's mind. I think, <laughs> you know, when they draw back, it adds the pressure, boy. Yeah. It, it adds the pressure to the whole shot, uh, process. I'll guarantee you that. Um, what but, I, it's such it, amazing it's footage too, that you got, I was able to watch this and seeing this bear kind of crest the hill, you know, and just see the silhouette. I mean, it's just amazing footage. So the fact that you're able to get it on film, 
too. That has to be a major accomplishment or feeling to, I know for me, like if I get anything on film, I'm like, Hey, that's, that's, it's not easy to do, not especially by yourself. No, Rodney, Rodney, uh, uh, talks about that a lot. He's talked about it in some of our videos that, uh, when you make, make your mind up that you'd like to, uh, to bow hunt, you've taken a big challenge. When you make up your mind that you're going to hunt exclusively with a trad bow, uh, you've added to that challenge. When you make up your mind that you're going to film and especially do a lot of self filming on a trad bow hunt, you better be ready for a lot of failure. <laughs> because now you've compounded everything that was that was a big enough challenge all by itself but you put all three together and i'll be i'll tell you what there have been times when rodney and i have been out there with our with our bows and our, and our cameras in our hand that we just kind of look at each other like is this even going to be possible yeah uh, because everything has to come into alignment i mean my gosh yeah. Uh, to do to do that and uh, to do to hunt with a trad bow and and do filming, uh, boy, you, you better be ready. <laughs> you better yeah. be ready for the challenge. But you better understand that you're not always going to come out on top. Uh, you're going to have some failures. It's going to be a learning experience every step of the way. But I think having said that, I, I firmly believe that that doing all of that together has just made the adventure that much and the challenge that much better. Yeah, if I get that comes across right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I see guys all the time uh, on forums asking, uh, you know, how, uh, what do you recommend for me getting started into filming? And I, my, I usually want to, I want to reply, just don't. It's <laughs> <is> my recommendation because <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to yeah. probably cost you if you're serious about it, and and even if you're not, you know, there's been times I've always said for me. I'm not at that stage, you know, where I'm going to let a, a nice buck or something pass by if I don't have it on film yet. It, it has cost me. There are times that it costs you. There's a lot that goes into that. So you combine that with a stick bow. I'm sure what you guys have been able to pull off and seeing your footage is, is quite remarkable. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Rodney, Rodney's talked about that exact same thing in some of our, our recent uh, elk videos. Uh, we both, we haven't, either one of us have been able to hunt elk an awful lot. Not like Larry yeah. like Jones and, and, uh, and, and, and some of the other guys that get to hunt them every year and get to do multiple elk hunts every year. Boy, I, I envy those guys. I, I would love to hunt elk more than I have mm. and get to hunt elk more than I do. Uh, but we've had reasonable success uh, in the short time that we've uh, uh, gone over to, uh, to trying to make some elk hunts part of our schedule. And uh, uh, I ended up getting a, a cow elk, uh, uh, not last year, but the year before uh, in Colorado. Uh, and uh, uh, Rodney uh, this year uh, uh, got a got a nice bull. Mm, and uh, that's the cool. video on that is going to be available uh, uh, this year. We'll have that one actually edited and uh, and on our uh, on our website and on YouTube uh, as quick as we can. We got several whitetail hunts that we have to get uh, edited and and uh, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, this year as well, we I think we're probably about five hunts behind, but we're working at getting them, <laughs> hey. working at getting them. Anybody that's ever spent time in an editing room knows what I'm talking about. Man, oh. that's that, that's that's that is, that's murder for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's I'm not an editor. <laughs> it takes time and it takes a lot of creativity. And how are you going to tell the story? It takes uh, the other thing I always tell guys. I, the serious thing I tell people is you just need a ton of footage. If you want to tell a whole story, it can't just be you in front of the camera, you shooting the animal, you behind the animal. There's, if you want a story, you got to have that B roll and kind of tell that story as you go. And that, that takes a lot. And, and the editing process is, is quite, <laughs> quite a challenge. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you were talking about the, uh, uh, the excitement of trad hunting, uh, trad bow hunting and, uh, that we've talked about, but, uh, I'm really, I'm really glad to see that there, there, the boom in, in, in the trad world uh, in the last few years has just been incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, and with, uh, with organizations coming uh, uh, over the top, uh, over the pike, I, I say, uh, like the Push mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Stickbow Chronicles, uh, uh, some of those guys that really, really are promoting uh, a trad bow, they're doing an exceptional job. The, the, the information that's available now to, to guys that are interested in making that switch or just adding it to their reper their, their, their repertoire, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. compound and trad bow, just, just being able to shoot a trad bow. The information that's available out there now, we never had that. Boy, in the 70s, 80s, 
we 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 had a few guys that 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 kind of knew what they were doing and and uh, but there wasn't a lot of us uh and tradbo took a big dip uh, but especially back in the late 70s and early 80s there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of us i can remember going to shoots uh with my tradbo were the only ones in the group <laughs> yep. the, the whole mass of people that were shooting a recurve or a longbow were in our group that was down there they didn't actually really even have a separate class we i think we were in the beginning we just kind of were shooting for the fun of it and uh, there'd be like uh, i think there'd be like uh uh, uh bill Krenz, mm. uh was there uh myself uh ron brown uh and uh and, and not many others. Uh, it, it was <laughs> Bob Jensen. Yeah, uh, Bob Jensen would be, would be mm. one of them. And uh, uh, it would be like a group of five or six in a, in, in a, in a mass of 800. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we were a very small group. There, uh, there wasn't a lot of us kind of hanging on to the tradition back then, but that's all changing right now. Yeah. You know, they have big, huge traditional bow shoots and stuff and the information that's available. I wish I would have, would have had access to all that. Maybe I could be, would, have, would be a better shot today if I, if yeah. I had access to all the information that's out there. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, really impressed. Really yeah. impressed. You mentioned a lot of, there are a ton of good resources. My buddy Trav, you know, went through that journey uh, even more than what I have. You know, he, he spent years doing that, trying to get better, almost gave up at one point, discovered, you know, Joel Turner and some of those things with the push and uh, shot IQ yeah. and all of those things that have just made him a tremendous shot and, and led to his success, you know, with the trad bow. And so he, he always talks about it. He just did a video actually not that long ago on YouTube about that whole process and how he almost gave up, but stuck with it. And it's been very rewarding to kind of yeah. just watch him. I've been rooting him on the whole time and um, it's been Ab neat to see that. Absolutely. And I, and I would encourage anybody, any of your listeners that have not seen Travis's video about his own personal journey uh, with the trad bow, you need to watch that. That, mm -hmm. that is, that is such a well put together and encouraging uh, uh, video that Travis did. I watched that. I was very, very impressed with that, uh, with that video. Travis mm -hmm. did a great job. Uh, I was going to ask you how, how much, how much time have we got on this thing? I'm about, are we, are we running out of time or are we, doing uh, we, we got a little bit of time. I was going to ask you, we mentioned before we got started here. Um, I wanted to hear one more. You mentioned before we hit record about maybe some funny stories. So I thought maybe we'd have time for one funny story and then we kind of wrap up uh, hearing a little bit more about bent boat. Does that work for you? Absolutely. That That's fine. Uh, let, let, let me give you a, let me give you just a, a couple, a, a couple of real quick funny hunts. My, my, my list of funny hunts out, out far outweigh my list of serious. <laughs> me too. If, if it can, if, if a funny thing can happen on the mountain with me and Rodney, uh, it, it will. <laughs> and uh, we, we've had a, we've had a bunch of them. Uh, one of the funniest things I can remember is is uh, uh, back in along one of those Santa Cruz Catalina Island hunts, uh, I was going to go to Santa Cruz and I think I may have been the only guy on the boat that was going to Santa Cruz that had a, a recurve. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, boatload of, of high tech uh, compound shooters. And here I was with my stick boat and these guys, they started, they, they were almost laughing at me. I mean, they thought, are you kidding me? You, mm -hmm. you spent money to go on this hunt and you're going to go over there with a, with a, with a stick boat, you know, and that, oh man, I, yeah, oh, I like, I could never do that. You know, they're just talking in, but about the, about the, the, the probability of getting anything, I think that's what really came up. And they started talking about these, the sheep on Santa Cruz, which is the island we were headed for, uh, had been hunted by guys with bow and arrows so much by that time that they were attuned <laughs> to the sound of, of you know, uh, of people stalking, uh, breathing, uh, but especially the sound of a bow uh, releasing an arrow. They were so attuned to that, it was incredible. And the guys were laughing. They said, we have trouble being able to shoot these things because they're jumping the string on it so fast that, he, the, that these bows are having a hard time getting an arrow to them. You know, we just don't understand how in the world you're ever going to be able to get a shot out of a, out of a stick bow that's going to be obviously a whole lot slower and, and be able to harvest an animal. I said, hey, well, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try. Well, that same very day after we got docked, I, I climbed this, this mountain 
and got to the top and started glassing. I found a good ram. I stopped to within 25 yards, maybe a little less of this ram. I was behind a rock. He was slightly down below me and he was in his bed. And as I came over the rock, I must have moved a pebble or something, but he stood up realizing he had heard something, but he wasn't sure what he'd heard. And you could tell he was tense. And I thought, well, here's the, here's the, here's the opportunity. Here's the shot. I drew back. He never noticed me draw. And just as soon as I released my arrow, the, the, the sheep did, the ram did exactly what these guys had warned me about. That sheep literally dropped to its knees. I never saw, I've hunted white too. I've never seen an animal do drop as much as I watched the ram drop that day. That ram dropped literally to his knees to avoid, <laughs> to avoid that arrow. Problem was my bow was so slow that as he was coming up and managed to get back up, thinking the trouble had passed, my slow arrow was just getting there. And I, <laughs> and I double lunged him. That's awesome. So, so I got him by throwing his timing off. Nothing That's else. Incredible. You know, so. <laughs> That's sweet. Anyway, the guys back in camp are pretty impressed. But uh, anyway. <laughs> so everybody back at camp was tuning their bows down to like try and go to the lowest <laughs> setting to, to lower their poundage there. <laughs> Uh, like I said, if it can happen, it'll happen to me or Rodney, I tell you. The other thing that I think is probably one of the funny stories I wanted to share was a, a lot of places Rodney and I have gone, we have been in, in grizzly country. We've been in grizzly country in Idaho, Montana, especially Alaska, and especially on Kodiak Island. So whenever we get into those kind of areas, we make sure we've got a can of bear spray. Well, it was about three years ago, I'm, I'm believing, if my memory is serving me correctly, uh, we went to, on an elk hunt and we were in Idaho and uh, I had my, my big can, my big extra large can of bear spray clipped on my belt. And I'd been hunting with, you know, the whole time I got there, it's just something that I carry. And I ended up getting that call to nature that we all do. <clears throat> and uh, mm -hmm. so I, I walk over to a, you know, a pretty good secluded spot well off the trail and and drop my pants and uh, proceed to get comfortable. And like a lot of folks, I, I, uh, I tend to be able to uh, relax and uh, um, answer that call to nature uh, a little easier if I read something. So I'd pulled that can of bear spray out and kind of turned it over. And I thought, you know, probably a good time just to kind of read a little bit about this bear spray and uh, learn a little bit about this, this thing since I never really, you know, have really had an opportunity to use it. I guess I might as well figure out how to use it quickly, that'd be a good thing to do, you know, if there's anything about it. So I read about the, you know, how to, how to release the, uh, the little lock on the side and then, you know, you aim uh, and, and, you, and you, you spray and all that kind of stuff. And then I was reading the label uh, about it. And the, the, one of the things that kind of stuck at me was it said severe irritant, uh, not for, for human, not meant for human contact. And everything I'm reading about this thing is scary, you know, and, mm -hmm. it's, and to be absolutely certain that you spray, uh, you know, downwind and, and all these warnings. And then on the very bottom, it says severe irritant to soft tissue. And I'm thinking, wow, this stuff is darn dangerous. And I start, it kind of made me nervous, I guess, but I went to put the can away and somehow I, I forgot to put the little cap lever back on the trigger and I was, as I was fumbling for it, my finger accidentally hit the trigger and I discharged oh, no. a cloud. And it was, it, it was, Travis, it was pink and it was probably about four feet in circumference. And it, it, this cloud is looming out in front of me. Thank God I had actually had the muzzle painted, pointed away from me. And I'm looking at this muzzle and I'm thinking, oh my goodness and then I, I feel the wind you know on the on the back of my neck and I watch the cloud kind of going away from it and I'm watching I said oh man Th thankfully the, the wind's blowing in the right and it's not coming toward me but I see this cloud doesn't it doesn't disperse it's just hanging there looming in front of me right so then the words come back to me severe irritant to soft tissue <laughs> and I realized that my pants are down around my ankles and at that moment, absolute total fear. 
gripped me in, in a way I cannot describe. And as I reached down to grab my pants, Travis, to pull them back up, I looked back up at the cloud and I realized that the wind has changed. And now this cloud is inching its way back toward me. And I am in sheer panic mode by that point. I think I tripped over three logs trying to get my pants back up before the wind ever corrected and changed again and the, the cloud moved off. Thankfully, I was never able to test that that uh, that 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 stuff uh, against soft tissue. Yeah, uh, I may not be talking with you today. Uh, <laughs> I in, bet. In exactly this particular monotone, I uh, had that uh, had that happen. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was not only a funny but a, a, a <laughs> almost a traumatic event for me. Be careful with the bear spray. Be careful Be with the bear. I'm sure. I'm sure your partner there too uh, hasn't let you live that one down, right? <laughs> No, no, absolutely. He reminds me of that every so often. Yeah, yeah. Make That's sure, true. make sure the lock is on the bear spray. Yeah. where you put it in your in your clip. Yeah, that sort of thing. That's, that's great. <laughs> Well, Ron, what I want to wrap up with a little bit, you kind of mentioned, uh, we've talked about Bent Bow and Bent Bow Production Outdoors and, and what you guys have been able to do there. But you kind of started at the beginning of the podcast talking a little bit about the heart behind that. I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, what what's the purpose of, of Bent Bow and more so just kind of on a personal level, what, you know, why, what's the motivating factor for you in all of this? Wow. Well, uh, you're, you, you've arrived at my uh, personal favorite topic. Uh, now, <laughs> at this point in my life, um, I'll, I'll probably start with uh, with faith, uh, my faith first, before I kind of lead into what what Bimbo is all about. But uh, yeah, uh, Travis, for for most of my young life, uh, like some people that are probably listening to this podcast right now, I tried to do things on my own. I lived my life according to Ron, and. Uh, I made some big mistakes uh, along the way. And it wasn't until I come to the knowledge that there was a God that was real, that loved me, uh, that I started making changes in my life and, and started to try to learn more about this God who loved me. And uh, the more I read the, the Bible, uh, the more I realized that uh, uh, he's had a divine plan and a purpose for us all along that we may not know about, depending on where we are in life. But the sooner we realize it, uh, the better off we are going to be in this life. So I made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior uh, many, many years ago. But I didn't start living for him until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a sad statement to have to tell you and a sad statement to have to tell people that are listening to this, but that was a big mistake. I could have saved myself a whole lot of heartache, mm -hmm. a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of regret had I made that decision earlier in my life. Um, but now that I have done that, uh, my life has been on a whole different course and I have never been sorry. Uh, he's made all the difference. Uh, he's made all the difference in my marriage, um, all the difference in my relationships with my friends and, my, and, 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 and people that I come into contact with. And all I want to do now is give something back to that God who, who loved me enough to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. I want to give something back. Yeah. And the, what I've decided personally, since I, I love bow hunting and I, I love the adventure of uh, high mountain hunting and, and, uh, and getting out and enjoying God's creation, uh, God placed it on my heart. Why don't you use what you love to attract people to a point in their lives to a place, maybe to a video where you can actually just, uh, just mention me, <laughs> just mention your friend, yeah. mention this God who loves you and loves you enough to give his only son uh, on the cross for you and for your sins and to pay that price for you. Mention it to him somewhere in the video uh, through prayer 
uh, over being thankful for the animal uh, through just a personal sharing time on the video. We do that as well. But in either case, and now I'm leading right into Bentbo. Bentbo came about basically for that sole purpose. It is a ministry for Christ. We use our bow hunting videos and we enjoy making our bow hunting videos. I'm not going to try to fool anybody. I think you can see the smiles on our face when we're hunting. We enjoy doing it. So this isn't a labor to us. Yeah. We, we enjoy doing it, but we make those videos. We, we shoot them the best we can. We, and uh, we try to make it as venturous as we can. We try to bring the guys with us in some way along with us on the hunt to make it very uh, appealing to them and to draw that crowd. But really all we're doing, all we're really doing is just using the video, the bow hunting part as kind of a wow factor to draw people in so that we can plant the seed of Christ a few times or at least once in that video. So just enough to get them thinking. And we do that a, ver a, ver a variety of ways. Sometimes it's in a prayer, but oftentimes it's in the, in the song. Anyone that listens to the background music of Bent Bow Outdoor Productions will quickly realize that a lot of times we're using some pretty exclusive music. <laughs> yeah. And the music itself will minister if they will just listen to the words. The words in that music are actually coming from a fine Christian songwriter by the name of Mike Beggy, who uh, writes our music for us free of charge hmm. in California. And uh, Mike Beggy, uh, I won't get into him that much. Uh, maybe on a, some segment, we'll be able to interview him. But he's uh, a, a, a songwriter, musician uh, from the old days uh, that, that even had associations with Elvis. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, uh, and, and many, many other bands uh, that were back uh, in the earlier years, especially in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And Michael gave his heart to the Lord, and that's what he likes to do, is he likes to write, write songs, inspirational songs, and he's, uh, he's got on board with us, and he writes our music. So we're using that in conjunction with our videos to, to, for that wow factor. Jesus used the wow factor all the time. You remember reading in the Bible, uh, I, don't, I don't think those those masses of people uh, came to the desert just to see Jesus. They came to the desert for the wow factor. They came because they had heard about the miracles that this man that they thought was just a man was doing. They wanted to see them. They wanted to see the miracles. That's why all these people came in mass groups. They wanted to see the miracle. They came because of the wow factor. Yeah. And then Jesus would present the gospel to them. So in a way, that's kind of what we're doing. We're using the wow factor of hunting videos to draw people in so that we can give just a simple message of Jesus Christ some way through that video. And that is really what we're all about, buddy. Absolutely. And I, I can't say how much I love that. I mean, that's part of what Shedding Light Outdoors is. Guys know, if, if guys listen to this podcast, I, I don't hide it. We don't try and sugarcoat it. I don't know um, how a person has a purpose in this world and a hope of life after without Jesus. And so, you know, I, I try not to be too forceful with that, but at the same time, um, <laughs> it, it, when it's all said and done, you can kill the biggest billy goat on the mountain. You can kill the biggest buck in the woods, but yeah. what happens to you? That's, that's the question. And not even then it's not a, what happens right after you die. It's, do you have a life that's filled with purpose? You know, yeah. I go back to the, the thing that just keeps popping my head, Ron, is you just talked about the love of the flight of the arrow. Yes. The love of the fly of the air. It's just something so simple, something so pure. It's that pure wonder. And that's what I get whenever I think about the Lord and what he's done for me. It's that, and I, it doesn't even compare actually to, to the same, but it, it's just the way I describe it. It's that feeling of, I know that my life means something and I know where I'm going when it's all said and done. And that is just pure joy to me. Absolutely. Travis, you, you nailed it. You nailed it on the head, brother. Uh, amen. Amen to everything you just said. Mm. Well, Ron, I, I once again, I want to thank you for your time. I'll point guys back to um, bentbowproductions.org. You can check out the videos there. There's a ton of things to look at. There's uh, an opportunity to donate. Uh, there's also a thing called the Salvation Experience on that website. Uh, you guys are on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. So I'd encourage people to, to check that out. Ron, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing your stories and your experiences and the funny stories as well, and also sharing your faith, brother. I really appreciate that. 
Travis, I, I, uh, I appreciate uh, the opportunity and uh, uh, thank you uh, uh, for, for sharing what you've shared uh, on this video about your own personal experience with Jesus. The only thing I'd like to add is when they do get on the, uh, on the website, uh, a couple years ago, we started a free uh, Bibles for Hunters program. Anyone that gets on our website, they can contact us uh, by email on there, any way they want to get us their address. And if they would like a camouflage compact uh, camo Bible that's perfect for their day pack, we send one out to them free of charge, or as we like to say, paid in full. We have an anonymous donor back uh, on, on the West Coast that has uh, lovingly uh, provided the funds that support that program. And uh, we just want to share uh, the word of God with anyone that we can. If they would like to get on there and order him a free Bible, buddy, we'll get them one right out in the mail to him. Absolutely free of charge. Uh, that's awesome. Well, Ron, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. I hope that you have a, a great week and uh, good luck on whatever your next hunt is. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Travis. God bless you, buddy. And good luck to you. What a gentleman. Really enjoyed uh, meeting Ron, hearing his stories. And I think uh, Bent Bow Productions and Shedding Light Outdoors may have some collaboration kind of things going forward. I, I really appreciate just what his ministry is about. That's part of what this is about too, guys. Um, if you're listening to this and, and it's not your thing, you know, if, if, if you feel like church and religion, you just listen for the hunting stories, I'm grateful that you listen. I really am. Um, thank you for, you know, you know every week I'm going to drop a little dose and give you a little sermon, sermonette for you to, to think about. And I think that's what Ron is doing too, um, and the reason we do that is because for us, this is our life. This is it's it's not, <laughs> you know. There are days I have some pretty tough days. Uh, there are days that are challenges. Um, you, you know, this coronavirus and everything else, the election. However you feel about that, there's just things that are hard. But for me, I, I always feel like I have a sense of joy and peace, inner peace, because of that faith that I have, and. I, I, I'm not sorry for letting you know about it because I don't know what else brings that. I, I know there's nothing else that brings that. At least there's never been anything in my life besides Jesus Christ and a relationship with him that has brought me inner peace and joy. And I want to pass that on. That's what this is about. So whenever I say shed the light, that's a challenge for those of you who do know what the light is. Um, that's a challenge for you to go out and let others know. You don't have to do a podcast. You don't have to do a hunting ministry online. You don't have to... Just let people know by the way you live, uh, by the way that you interact with people online, uh, by the way that you serve your neighbor. Um, and, and if you don't know that light, I, I would always welcome you to send me an email, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. If you'd like to talk, you and I can get on the phone just chat. If you have things that you, maybe hold you back, maybe it's religion or church or bad experiences, I'd be more than happy to sit down and talk to you. I'm sure Ron would as well. Um, that's part of what this podcast is about. It's not just the hunting stories. It's what's beyond that. So I'll throw that out there for you guys to think about. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Ron for coming on. I hope that you'll come back next week for another episode. And until then, remember to shed the light.